0: Hey guys, it's Blake, and you're listening to an all-new episode of Blonde Hair, Blackheart. So, you may have seen that this weekend, I got myself into a little social media fight with none other than Theodore Joe Mellencamp. Um, it was really unexpected, I, like, I don't interact with her on social media, um, I don't even think I'm following her, um... And I'm one of those people where, like, I obviously I have a ton of opinions. That's, like, uh, why else would I be here? But I'm not, like, up in the Housewives comment sections, like, trashing them. That that to me isn't fun. I don't need to, like, bully them. Um, But on my own timeline, like, sure, yeah, I'm going to say whatever the hell I want. So obviously, as you guys know, Teddy has been recapping The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills all season on the Twats podcast. And... If you've listened, I'm sure you can agree that she always comes across very biased. Um, Like, I get it that she's friends with these women and she knows them, and so that adds a certain layer of insight um, that we don't have, and obviously she has history with them, and and that's going to influence her. But it's just so clearly biased and, like, there's nothing about her at this point that's impartial when it comes to the Beverly Hills women. And, like, no matter who she's talking to, whether it's Tamara, you know, she's had Drew Sedora on a few times, whether it's a guest, it's like she's always, like, she feels like she always has to play devil's advocate to defend her friends. And at a certain point, um, you you just have to, like, read the room and recognize that, like, your viewpoint... Is clearly being skewed by your personal emotions and and work around that, you know? Um so a lot of people give her shit because she's extremely biased. And I think rightfully so. Like if you're gonna have a platform and you're gonna give your opinion about things, then you have to be prepared for people with opposing opinions to be like, yo, you're you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, we all deal with it. I deal with it, we all deal with it. It's part of the gig, you know? Um the thing that that bugs me about Teddy is now, you know, what's playing out is it's it's a little deeper because it's no longer just about, like, you know, the friendships. Now we're dealing with familial relationships, i.e. Kathy and Kyle. And um, people are just kind of surprised at how uh, willingly Teddy will trash Kyle's sister on her podcast. And it's surprising because Teddy... Still claims to be one of Kyle's best friends, and it just seems like you know what Carcel said on the show. If if you're Kyle's friend, you would let this go and you wouldn't fan the flames. Um, and Teddy's response to that is, "Well, I have a job to do. You know, I'm I'm being paid and I'm contractually obligated to talk about this shit. And while I agree to an extent, like yes, y- yes, you're here to talk about the show and the happenings on the show, so so go ahead and do that. Um, I do think that you know." At a certain point, you can draw the line in how far you go in discussing these things and how uh, deep into your own opinions you want to get. You know, I think that there's a way that you can recap what's happening on the show and explain, like, the facts of what we're viewing without taking sides or without you needing to drop your own little, like, personal nuggets in there, you know? Um, I think it would be very fair for her to be like, look, I'm going to explain what's happening on the show... But then when it went, went gets down to, like, whose sides do I take or, or what what do I think, I'm just—I'm not going to touch that. I'll tell you what's happening, but I'm not going to tell you how I feel about it because Kyle's my best friend, and, like, I don't need to get in the middle of these sisters fighting, you know? And I, I think that's really what everyone is, is asking her for. Um, but she basically posted this long-ass fucking story, like an essay, honestly, saying that, you know, she's—this is her job, she's a journalist, she's contractually obligated, like— it's it's so ridiculous you're not barbara walters this isn't like 60 minutes you're hosting a housewives podcast you know um no one is forcing you to talk about anything i'm sorry but your contract i i don't know I, I didn't read teddy's contract but i i'm hard pressed to believe that her contract says you must say your personal opinions about every single woman on the show without fail you know it would be just as real for you to tell us like, hey, I don't want to touch this because it's messy and I'm still friends with these women. And like, I don't want to get into that, you know? Um, so I just, I don't, I don't begrudge Teddy at all for having a show. I like some people do. I I don't, I, you know, I recognize that she is part of the Bravoverse for better or worse, you know? Um, and she knows these women and she does have insight that we don't know. And and there are reasons why people are interested in hearing what she has to say. And I appreciate that. Like, I'm not the type of person that's like, Teddy Mellencamp, go crawl into a hole, you know, like, she can do what she wants. And if she's found an audience, and she wants to talk about the housewives world, like, go for it, honestly. Um, I just think that you have to acknowledge and recognize that, like, we're all here doing the same thing. We're all here giving our opinions, and no one is holding a gun to any of our heads. Further, I think this, this you know, sh- this thing that she keeps saying, which is like, I get paid, I get paid, and she always, like, mocks the fans, and she's like, well, you guys talk about the Housewives, but at least I'm getting paid for it. And it's like this weird snarky, like, looking down on everyone else that I don't appreciate because... First of all, you're not the only one getting paid, Teddy. Um, a lot of us get paid for this. Second of all, without the unpaid fans, without the unpaid viewers, you wouldn't have been on this show. There wouldn't be a show. There wouldn't be a podcast to talk about the show. Like none of it would happen without these unpaid fans who are getting involved. So stop shitting on people just because they have an opinion. Like you're you're telling them that you're entitled to your opinion while shitting on them for having opinion, an opinion because they're not, like, cashing out for it. And I just think that that's—I don't know. It's, like, a weird, gross way to look at it, especially for someone like Teddy Mellencamp who was born on third base and literally had all of this handed to her. Um. So anyways, she posted this long-ass essay, like I said, and I tweeted um, basically, like— <laughs> what I just said to you guys, but in 140 characters. Uh, I think what I actually said was like, when is Teddy going to realize that she's just another fan account like the rest of us? Um, but she saw it and I guess she was like going through my whole Twitter feed because then she tweeted at me and said, blonde hair, black heart, no self-awareness. You've been tweeting about me all day long. And then she screenshotted a a separate conversation where I had responded to someone else, completely unrelated to Teddy, and this person had been saying, like, yo, guys, we're all entitled to our opinion, but, like, let's stay out of the Bravo Lebs comment sections. Like, you, you, like we can say whatever we want on our own timelines, but once you're going and, like, responding to... Like, for example, if I were to go and respond to everything Teddy posted saying that I hate her in her comments, like, that would be bullying and stalkerish. Like, that's weird. And I responded saying 1,000%, because, like I said, I don't do that. I'm, I'm saying things on my podcast, on my own page. I'm not going and harassing Teddy Mellencamp on her posts. I'm not. Um... But she somehow correlated the two and thought that because I responded to this girl, agreeing with her that we should not bully the housewives, that I in turn lack self-awareness because I've been talking about her all day. Which, I wasn't talking about her all day, I think I tweeted one or two things, and then I like, I respond to the people that respond to me, because that's the nice thing to do. Um. Either way, Teddy Joe, uh, you got yourself all in a kerfuffle about nothing. Um, and you gave my podcast a lot of press, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, it's just funny because now I have officially pissed off both of the twats. Um, I mean, Tamara's hated me for like a year now, and if you don't know about that, uh, go back and listen to my episode from, I think it's like back in February. It's called Marvel for Morons, and you can hear the whole story about how I upset Tammy Sue. Um, but yeah, now, gosh, I guess the twats think I'm a twat. (laughs) Okay, so now with all of that out of the way, let's talk about The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills from last week. So, this was the finale episode, and Garcelle is hosting her Birkins and Bubbles party, and Patrick the butler is in attendance. Well, he's on the clock, but we love a Patrick appearance. Meanwhile, Kyle is planning her party for the Princess Kelly Foundation, and she's super excited that all the ladies get to borrow jewelry for the event. Um, but isn't it so funny how the people who can afford the most expensive shit get the most expensive shit gifted to them? Like, must be nice. Uh, But as long as Hip-Hop Rob gets his diamond grill, I guess, I don't really care. So Cherie is the first one to arrive at Garcelle's party, and she's excited for some salami. Uh, Then Sutton shows up with her assistant, Josh. Um, Okay, this guy is fucking everywhere. He's like the new Mikey, uh, and he serves no purpose. So uh, Kyle arrives and immediately goes into battle over this green bag that Sutton has her hands on, and she proves that she's scrappier than one might expect. I guess being the youngest sister of Kathy and Kim trained her well for Birkin battle. Patrick and Josh start talking about the single dating life in West Hollywood, and honestly Patrick needs his own dating show. Um, I would absolutely watch Patrick dick his way through West Hollywood. Andy, make it happen. The ladies convince Garcelle to buy the yellow Birkin by chanting, Get the bag! Get the bag! which actually reminded me, this one time my husband and I went shopping with one of our girlfriends and we like definitely chanted wear it out, wear it out, when she put on and bought this like gorgeous trench coat. So shopping clearly is a team sport that requires a cheering squad. Duh. At the Birkin party, Kyle fills Garcelle in on the convo that went down between Rinna, Kathy, and Kyle at Kyle's house. Garcelle knows how it is to have sisters, and she says what we're all thinking. If Kyle wants to sweep this under the rug to keep her family intact, then Rena needs to butt the fuck out. Kyle explains that this is also a lot bigger than just a fight between two sisters. You know, there are other family members involved. Nieces, nephews. There's a lot to lose here. Then Sutton tells a story about a phone date that she had, and in the middle of the conversation, the guy's girlfriend or wife comes in the room and he just, like, hangs up the phone. Awkward! Speaking of awkward, Garcelle asks Rinna about her conversation with Kathy, and Rinna says it was a good thing. It was good. It was good. It, I, I think it was a good thing. Did, did she mention it was good? But then she says that the behavior was so appalling that she had to lock herself in her room, and she was shook. And the look on Garcelle's face when she says this is classic. Garcelle's face speaks for the people. So Kyle tells Rena that her sister apologized, and she has to accept it and move on. And Rinna says that she's really tried to be protective, but I don't see that. Do you guys see Rinna trying to be protective? Crystal mentions that the whole blow-up was so confusing because they couldn't even hear what was going on at the Caribou Club. It was too loud. And this is important, as Rinna has been implying everyone is keeping quiet and covering up for Kathy. But then she's also said that no one really knows what went down. So it's confusing. But you know what Vicky Gumvelson said that one time? Satan loves confusion. No, it's true, Vicky literally said this during Cancer (laughs) Gate. So later, on the way to Kyle's event, Lisa and Erica are talking all about Kathy's meltdown once again, and Rinna says that her publicist has been calling her and giving her updates about the story in the press, and how Kathy's team is trying to get it shut down. This is also an interesting thing for Rinna to say, considering later on in this episode she and Erica are vehemently denying that they or their teams would have anything to do with this story circulating. I mean, her publicist is clearly at least talking about it with other people. Rina goes on and on about how Kathy's meltdown was beyond anything that she's ever seen. It was so disgusting, it shook her to her core. I'm just, I'm still so confused because this is all coming from Lisa fucking Rinna of all people. Like, if Crystal said this, if Garcelle said this, even if Dorit said this, I would believe it. But not a single person is making this out to be the nuclear explosion that Rinna is. And remember, according to Crystal, they couldn't even hear what was going on in the Caribou Club. But Rinna and Erica keep saying that Kathy made an ass out of herself and everyone saw it. Hmm. Asher clicked his ruby slippers together three times and ended up at Kyle's house with Diana, and fortunately for us, this is the only time we see them the entire episode. The group sits down for dinner and Garcelle is next to Kyle, and Kyle asks Garcelle if she's heard from Kathy, and Garcelle tells her that she's talked to Kathy and Kathy was upset over the stories that are spreading. Kyle explains that Kathy apologized to her and she apologized to Rinna, and she wishes the other girls would just drop it. Well, they don't care about you, Garcelle tells Kyle, because if they did, they would let it go. Ding ding ding! Ain't that the truth. Kyle and Garcelle continue to talk about what went down, and Garcelle makes it clear that she does not think Lisa and Erica are Kyle's friends, or at least they aren't acting like it. Kyle notices that Lisa and Erica are listening intently from across the table. The ladies get up and head over to the couches so they can really hash it out, and Garcelle asks Rinna what was so horrible that Kathy did that requires an apology, and Rinna says she doesn't need an apology from Kathy. Then why won't you let it the fuck go? Garcelle asks Rinna that very question, and Rinna, making the same face she made that one season in Mexico when she was caught in the middle of her own lies, asks, who won't let it go? And to quote Shannon Bedore, It was you! Rinna snaps at Garcelle and asks her why she has such an attitude. Because Rinna can't stand it when the black woman speaks up. And here's the thing, Garcelle wasn't even close to having an attitude. She was calm and she asked a question. Stop trying to make her into the angry black woman, Rinna. Your racist is showing. Garcelle says what we're all thinking. This feels like a deflection. Now we aren't talking about the terrible things Erica said in Aspen, we're talking about the terrible things Kathy might have said in Aspen. Erica says that she's owned up to her shit, so Kathy needs to own up to it too. But didn't she? I mean, Kathy acknowledged that she lost her cool, and she apologized to Rinna, and she apologized to Kyle. What more do these broads want? Then Rinna says that she can't sweep this under the rug because she'd get sick and die of cancer if she didn't express it. She'll get sick and die of cancer. Um, of all of the asinine things that Lisa Renna has said over the course of her housewives tenure, this one takes the cake. And as someone who has lost people to cancer, as someone whose parents both have had cancer, my dad literally just had his last radiation treatment last week, thank god, and my mom has been in remission for a long time, thank god, but this was disgusting. This made me so angry. Um, yeah, you don't you don't joke about cancer. You just don't. You don't, you don't say that people get cancer because they refuse to gossip. Like, god damn, Rinna, you're awful. And let's not forget too that she's saying this to Kyle, who lost her mom to cancer. It's, it's really bad. Rinna claims that Kathy was saying things that could ruin people's lives forever. But if no one heard of these things, wouldn't Rinna bringing them up possibly ruin these people's lives? And like, all that we've really heard Rinna say was that Kathy called Dorit a stupid useless idiot. I mean, will that really ruin her life? Is that something that we didn't already know? JK, JK, I, I love Dorit. Erica says that Kathy needs to feel the consequences of her bad behavior, and Kyle says that Rinna and Erica are only punishing her, not Kathy. No, your sister is punishing you, the girls squawk. They really did sound like two dodo birds. Kyle excuses herself, and she and Dorit discuss how these stories about Kathy continue to leak to the press, and Kyle knows exactly who it is, because Kathy launched an investigation and discovered it was Erica's publicist who leaked the information. Sutton, continuing to earn her MVP title this season, goes straight to Erica and Renna and asks them, point blank, did you leak this info to the press? and Erica claims she doesn't even know how to leak information. Okay, this I thought was the stupidest comment ever. First of all, you're telling me that you don't know anyone in the media. Second of all, you're telling me that you wouldn't know to give your publicist information. Third of all, like literally you could just DM the Radar online Instagram account. Like there's we we all can leak information, Erica. Kyle tells her it was someone who works for her, and Erica doesn't even really blink. She just says, hmm, interesting, not, who, what, where, why, like, wouldn't you be shocked or confused if someone was throwing that accusation at you? So this is actually an interesting part of the episode. The version that we saw, or at least that I saw, or that some of us saw, I I don't really know, but it doesn't show the whole story. You probably saw on my social medias that there was an international version of this episode with an additional clip shown right at this moment that clearly shows Erica's publicist lurking around the ladies at the Pretty Mess Hair event, listening in on their convo about Kathy. There's even a caption on the bottom of the screen showing him saying that he's listening to them. The scene was conveniently cut from the viewing that I saw, and according to like 90% of my followers, they didn't see it either. Some claimed that they went back and tried to watch the episode again, and the clip was there, then it wasn't there, but all I can tell you is that I rewatched the episode this morning on Peacock and it was not there. So, take that for what you will. Who are they protecting? The ladies continue to go back and forth on who would leak this and why. Even the morally corrupt Faye Resnick gets in on the action. And Erica tries to explain that this notion that a story could pull focus away from Erica and onto Kathy doesn't even make sense because Kathy isn't nearly as famous as Erica. <laughs> Honestly, sometimes I don't know if this show is reality TV or sketch comedy. Let's talk about The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Jen sits down with her mom to do a puzzle, aka talk about Jen's legal scandal. It's so funny how they're always like, you know, we need a reason for your mom to come over. It can't just be to talk. Uh, what should the reason be? And Jen's like, we can do a puzzle. <laughs> and then they just sit there and they like kind of move the pieces around the table while they talk, but they aren't like, actually putting them together? I'll, I'll cut Jen some slack here though, because she should be focusing on putting the pieces of her legal case together, not some jigsaw puzzle. Jen describes her fears of going to prison and how she's mostly concerned for her children, and how they're the ones that have kept her going. She explains that she's been suicidal and that if it weren't for her kids, she wouldn't be here anymore. All joking aside, I do feel for Jen's family, and I wish them the best, regardless of what happens to Jen, and before anyone snaps at me and says I'm showing more sympathy for Jen than I am for Erica, this is about Jen's family. As for Erica's family, I really do wish Tiago all the best, truly. Whitney and Meredith hang out because, well, Meredith needs allies, and they discuss Coach Shaw's birthday party and how Meredith felt being around Lisa for the first time. Meredith explains that Lisa's a hypocrite who has badmouthed everyone in the group, Then Meredith proceeds to badmouth Lisa and continue spreading rumors about her. And just like Jen Shaw in last week's episode hearing these rumors from Meredith, Whitney too has already heard all of these rumors. This leads me to believe either A the rumors are coming from the group, you know, the call is coming from inside the house, or B they're true. Or C I guess, all the above. Whitney says straight up that she's heard that Lisa slept with a wealthy man to help her Vita tequila business. I mean, she clearly wasn't that great of a lay, though, because I don't see Vita tequila anywhere when I go out. But maybe they sell it at a bar in Scottsdale, Arizona? Let's find out, shall we? So the girls are heading off to Arizona, and I gotta say, like, okay, I get that it's the housewives and the girls want to go to Bora Bora or something, but Heather saying that Arizona is Utah's red-headed stepsister is not cool. First of all, Arizona's beautiful. Our politics are a little questionable, sure, but whose aren't at this point? Second of all, you said that we had more white people than Utah, and that's a crock of shit. Arizona has huge Latino and Native American populations, and a ton of culture. Utah is as white as they come. And thirdly, isn't your youngest daughter a redhead? Not the best analogy to use, Hev. But before the ladies head off to sunny Scottsdale, we have some major revelations to unpack back in Utah. Like Jack Barlow saying, fudge college, honestly, and Whitney unpacking a heap of childhood trauma that she had repressed. Talk about two drastically different scenes. I was literally cracking up at Jack, this little shit, believing that he actually is responsible for creating a successful skincare brand all on his own, to crying with Whitney remembering and recognizing the trauma she didn't deal with as a kid. Like this is why I love these shows. The range of human emotions. You can't write this shit. So the ladies arrive in Scottsdale and what did I tell you? It's beautiful. The house, the weather, the cactus and the palm trees. Honestly, I would take this over the snow any day. But I'm a lizard, so I just like to bathe in the heat. And my tail grows back if you cut it off. No, but for real, quick sidebar, as a kid, I had a traumatic experience in the snow. Uh, My family went up to Pinetop, Arizona, and I must have been, like, one at the time. And I have this home movie of me just sitting in, like, a bed of snow. Is that what it's called? A bed of snow? I don't know. Um, And I'm, I'm, like, fine. Uh, And all of a sudden, my dad and my brother, who was maybe three at the time, like, sneak up behind me in this video, and they both have buckets full of snow, and they just dump them on my head. Yes, a one-year-old being buried in the snow, Um, so I just like burst out screaming, and it truly traumatized me because to this day, 33 years later, I do not like the snow. So Lisa and Whitney are the only two at the Arizona house, and they use this time to connect, and Whitney explains some of her trauma unpacking to Lisa, and Lisa immediately makes it about herself. Classic Lisa. You know, Whitney's talking about literal trauma and abuse, and Lisa's talking about how she had to brush her little sister's hair. But what she lacks for in empathy, she makes up for in big gulps, right? The other ladies arrive, and Whitney and Heather convene to discuss all of the rumors that they've heard about Lisa. Whitney says that she doesn't want to be in the middle of it all while Heather is sitting there grinning from ear to ear because she loves being in the middle of it all. Whitney has planned a healing ceremony with a shaman, and this is a common occurrence on Salt Lake City, I I feel like they have these types of ceremonies all the time, and it always seems like the ladies end up worse off than when they started. And this is coming from someone who's really into spirituality and healing work, I just think some of these ladies are unhealable. But I guess only time will tell, and probably like four more shaman ceremonies. Okay guys, that's it for today. I know that Real Housewives of Potomac premiered last night, but I had a wisdom tooth extraction last week and, to be honest, my mouth really hurts right now, so I'm gonna call it a day. Um, But next week I will either double up and give you a recap on both the first two episodes of Potomac or, I don't know, maybe this week if I have time I can uh, put out a little bonus episode for you guys covering Potomac. No promises, but maybe. In the meantime, please follow me on social media at BlondeHairBlackHeart. That's where you'll see me fighting with Teddy. (laughs) Like and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Oh, and give me a five-star rating or review, because if you don't, I will hunt you down. Just kidding.